HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Brooklyn Slate, manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. Check them out at www.brooklynslate.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlander Cal. Here today, last show of 2013, but at least I get to cheers it in with a fine, fine person, actor, winemaker, Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> cheers. Cheers, Michael. Nice to meet you. And thank here. you for making it uh, in such... Hold on, I'm going to take a sip. Me too. That was the best radio silence I think I've ever had. Ah. <laughs> certainly full body yeah so um a lot of people know you as an actor first and foremost uh from david lynch movies yeah. from uh, sex in the city from desperate housewives right. uh, most recently the mayor on portlandia and yes. we'll get to all that but this wine this wonderful juice that we just <laughs> drank from walla walla washington uh is very close to your heart and i kind of want to start you know about Washington, Yakima, where you grew up, who you grew up with, and why the land is so important to you. Um, Well, this, um, the wine that we're enjoying here is is a byproduct of my love affair with eastern Washington, which I freely admit was initially um, love-hate, probably still a little bit like that. Um, but as I've gotten older and spent a lot of time away from where I grew up, uh, coming home is much sweeter, you know, and it's been made even more sweeter because of, uh, this recent wine, flourishing wine business that's happening there really the past 20 plus years. And this, making this wine was an opportunity initially to, um, really force me home I guess uh, I, you know I live pr- primarily between Los Angeles and New York because of what I do and I was finding I was I was getting back to visit my father in particular um, less and less frequently even to once a year you know for a Thanksgiving or a Christmas and I I just felt this is this is just not right you know I could tell he was missing me and I was like so 
I was not that I was sifting around for some reason to come back, but the opportunity to make wine kind of came up, and I thought, whoa, this is kind of a this maybe is kismet, you know, and and meant to be. So, um, and that became a reality uh, really shortly after meeting Eric Dunham of Dunham Cellars, and he was really the guy who put it all in perspective for me and made it possible. So, I mean, you talk about. Eastern Washington as a young wine region, you know, uh, I think Bob Betts started making wine there, what, 40 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I know some of the history, I know Leonetti, which is kind yeah. of, it was um, uh, Chris Figgins' first, it was sort of the first, boutique isn't really the best word, but let's say the first really good wine mm-hmm. that was coming out of Washington. Uh, he bonded Leonetti in Walla Walla in 1977. So, yeah, so you're looking at about 40 years, I guess. Yeah, um, and I mean, that shows good pedigree. Didn't Eric work with Leonetti? Or it seems like most winemakers in that area have at one point gone through that vineyard. They certainly have. Eric actually worked with um, Marty, Marty Chubb over at um, 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 Le Col. 41 um and marty in turn worked i mean that's how yeah, it yeah. works it's like it's like almost like a trade i want to see that know? yeah i want to see that walla walla you know like hierarchy or or, or family tree right. of winemakers the godfather yeah. at the very very <laughs> top who started this the atom of yeah. the walla walla world yeah but i mean started it how what what is walla walla what kind of town what kind of you know uh vista walla walla is um primarily was although it still is um a farming community primarily wheat um being so far east in washington the name actually means many waters i guess that's why it's walla 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 meaning water so and in in the native american in the in the language there um and it's true it's surrounded by these little streams and creeks and brooks and things like that but the land is really arid there's no water falling from the sky in walla walla unlike Western Washington, where you'll find Seattle and Tacoma and these other major cities that are green and lush and gorgeous, and you come east and you're like, what happened? It's <laughs> just tumbleweeds and, you know, I mean, sage. So um, it's a perfect place, actually, to grow vines because you can control the moisture. Um, Walla Walla was, uh, has remained a small town, and the best thing about Walla Walla is that time forgot it, I think. Um, certain, certainly during the times when architecture was suspect <laughs> <laughs> and it hit my hometown of Yakima unfortunately and so um, a lot of the old buildings were torn down because that's what you did and other things were put up that were you know horrendous um, so Walla Walla it, missed that. So it isn't particularly, uh, um, or wasn't, a tourist destination. Not at all. Still so, still a challenge yeah, yeah. to get people there. But actually. you know in your mind uh, there's Napa and Sonoma and it yeah. seems like uh, there's such a pilgrimage to go there. Yeah. And then the quality of Walla Walla wines that I've tasted, um, I could see that same kind of exodus towards. It's starting to happen. I mean, it's it's a little more isolated. It's a destin. You know, it's it really is a destination. And they have a few times during the year when people make the make the effort to get there. The summer is gorgeous, but there's barrel tasting and spring release and fall release and that kind of thing that really drive people primarily from the Seattle area. But they also come in from Idaho. They'll come from Boise. Come from Spokane. Some people will come up from Oregon as well, Portland. Um, but it's a long drive, you know, from 
from Seattle to Walla Walla is four fifteen. Four and a half, depending on how fast you drive. And <laughs> how fast do you drive? Or you don't want to make that confession. I've already, yeah, I was stopped already. Yeah. But the, the the state patrol guy was very cool, so he was like, "Okay, you just gotta, you know, chill out a little bit." Yeah, I, like, I got you. So, um, but anyway, um, they're nice people out in Eastern Washington. Yeah, um, uh, but you do have to travel. Yeah. So why did you want to get? the hell out of Dodge? Well, you know, I grew up in Yakima. I went to school in Yakima. I loved Yakima growing up. It's, it was very nice. You know, it's, it's a f- primarily farming again, and they grow everything. Fruit ranching is the main thing there. So apples, or, uh, not oranges, apples, pears, cherries, uh, peaches. Did you guys grow? Apricots. No, my dad was a stockbroker. But we had apple trees in our backyard growing up as a little kid. Um, the development, the housing development that we lived in was an orchard that they tore out. Um, and they left a couple of the trees, and so in our backyard was a, a Bartlett pear tree, a wine sap apple tree, and a pippin apple tree. Pippin is actually a pretty cool apple. Um, these are now considered, um, uh, what are they, her- heritage? Or yeah, so, you yeah. know, old, old time. Well, wine saps are great for juicing, they're not so great for eating, but the pippin is fantastic for cooking. It's a tart apple, it's really good. It's better than a Granny Smith, it's wonderful. See, everyone that I met from Washington at Taste Washington, like Kent Wallacer, Everyone has their particular apple. <laughs> it's Everyone, very true. Yeah, everyone's. It, it's almost like a character study on yeah. which apple are you. Yeah, which one you like. Yeah, and which, and, and uh, so I grew up with all of these uh, the varietals around, and so um, and there was definitely a, um, a sequence to harvest. So you start with asparagus in the spring, and you march through all the way until you harvest finally apples um, uh, in September, October, um, and turns out they actually did grow a lot of grapes do still grow a lot of grapes in washington they're they're concord grapes they're juice grapes um but um which i didn't know about but somebody got the bright idea that they should plant some some vines there and they said you know let's see what happens and one of the earliest vineyards is a vineyard um kind of up in an area called horse heaven hills which is great where they actually do have wild mustangs still um up off the columbia um, and it's the Shampoo Vineyard, spelled uh, C-H-A-M-P-O-U-X, French spelling. And that's been there since the 70s. And so Leonetti pulls from there. Uh, Andrew Will pulls from there. Uh, I think Woodward, I think, uh, gets some from there. Um, but they they covet this. This is like, a, and I've gone to visit, it and, and the vines are, I swear to God, you can't get your hands around the vine. They're that big. And um, so these are these are the old some of the oldest in Washington. There's others as well, but this is a this is a vineyard that I love. See, you, I'm I'm going to jump ahead a little bit just because you explain the scenery to me and mm-hmm. what I picture in my mind. Um, obviously, resembles some of Twin Peaks as mm. far as exteriors go, as far as maybe even some of the, the you know the dialogue that I can hear in my mind. <laughs> but were you the one that drew David Lynch? No, you know, David is, um, um, I forget if he was born in Boise or if he was born in Missoula. He was, he's, he's a Northwest kid. Um, so he grew up uh, more on, in the area that, that was, resembled where I grew up, which is sort of eastern side. So it's a little, you know, it's a little not as lush, you know, and not as, not as sort of evergreen forests as you had in um, Twin Peaks. Um, but definitely Northwest, and he has that sensibility. And I think, I don't know why Twin Peaks, I, I, I found, <laughs> found it back there, but I think there was a mystery in the woods and kind of a, a quality that was otherworldly yeah. out there. Well, I mean, Twin Peaks was set in a fictional Washington town. Right. But you had to go to L.A. first. You know, you went to UW, studied acting there, yep. and then went to Hollywood trying to find... 
I did. My route was very strange. I mean, I went to school, like, as you said, at the University of Washington, turns, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. It turns out they had a terrific training program there, which I discovered. Um, I took an acting class. I'd done, some, I'd done some acting in high school. I liked it. Um, I had a feeling that I was, it was, I was good at it, but I didn't really realize that. But I said, I think this comes easy to me. You know, I recognize that, but I didn't follow that. It wasn't really a passion. I was like, I liked it, but it was really more of a social activity. I went to the University of Washington. I'm a terrible student. I, I was just not good at anything I tried. And I took an acting class just as kind of a, oh, this will be a little bit of a relief from taking <laughs> my, my history and my chemistry and all that stuff. And uh, and I really liked it and really enjoyed it. It was like, oh, God, you know. It's I, always the elective. It's always that subsidiary you know, thing that kind of bites you. It does. It did. And I was like, this is good. And then I started realizing that they had this training program where they were training actors basically regional theater for repertory. Yeah. And I said, okay, I think this is what I want to do. My parents were okay with it. You know, they were fine, uh, primarily because during the summer months, I would work summer stock at different places around the country and actually make money. Not, nothing, I didn't, they didn't have to pay for me, in other words. So I would make $30 a week, including room and board, and I could live on that. So um, they were happy about that. Um, I was accepted into the training program. It's a three-year program, and when I graduated, I went to work at Ashland uh, at the Shakespeare Festival, hence kind of the name of my wine here, Pursued by Bear, which is a uh, stage direction from The Winter's Tale, uh, Act 3, Scene 3. Um, <laughs> and I just, uh, I've always got a kick out of it. Um, but I worked in Ashland, worked in Seattle uh, at the Empty Space Theater, which is no longer there. And while I was there, I, was, I auditioned in Seattle and uh, auditioned for a wonderful casting lady named Elizabeth Lustig, who brought me down to L.A. to meet David and Rafaela de Laurentiis, and that's how it started. Yeah, and that was Dune. That was Dune. That was, and, I mean, we can go into depth about these things, but <laughs> it's almost too hard, you know, <laughs> because I, I know there are fan sites and, you know, obsessives that talk about these yeah. things all the time. Yeah. But I, I want to talk about process. It was funny, right before the show, you were talking about how, you know, everything's a little bit of a hassle or a little bit of a jumble before you actually get into it, and what you mm. really enjoy is the process. Right. Um, acting. Stanislavski, Straussberg, did you use either of those methods to get into character? We had our own sort of training. Uh, when, you, when you go to a school, the teacher, in our, in our case, it was uh, Dr. Robert Hobbs. Um, he had his own sort of method of working, which was not really the method. I mean, um, it was uh, his strengths, really. He was a good acting teacher, um, but his strengths were really in the process to get, of getting the job. For an actor, there are, there's really sort of two hemispheres. One is the getting of the job, meaning the audition process, the connecting with the, the, the casting agents, um, the actual how you are in the meeting, how you read, how you audition. Everything has to do with the audition process. And then there's sort of the job and the working on the job. Once you have it, you know, it's taking the script apart and, and examining the pieces and putting things back together again, that whole exploration. Um, and he was really good in the first part, and I've, I've had to supplement the second, but... He, he was uh, absolutely. He was the best, Bob Mobs, for the for the getting the job, you know. Um, and when I left school, I was really, I mean, I was sort of at the top of my game. I felt like in terms of that. So when I when the opportunity for Dune came along, I was like, I was right there, you know. I was I I was honed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me to audition now. Yeah. <laughs> but back in that time, I was right on the top of it. So um, it it went really really well. Um, but uh, um, all of those things leading up to the actual getting in front of the camera, the actual process of working with the other actor, which is a great joy, the sharing of that um, back and forth, 
that's really, if you talk to a director, I think, or an actor, the process of when they turn the camera on until they turn it off, that little piece of time is really, um, that's the gold that you live for. And everything else is kind of, you know, in preparation of that. Yeah. Well, what is the on time for wine? Well, the on time for wine is not so dissimilar in the process of making a film. You know, there's a lot of things that lead up to the actual opening of the bottle and the tasting of the wine. And then even then, it continues to live on in the bottle and change. And, and, um, and, and hopefully, if you've made the wine properly, it will continue to evolve and, and deepen and, and become more complex and interesting. Um, so, um, you know, as an actor grows older, I like to think, <laughs> as I grow older, you're getting more complex and, you know, more interesting. And certainly, uh, you know, the bouquet is, you know, getting better. Um, but, uh, you know, you put all these different pieces together. You've got oak barrels, uh, and you choose a variety of different um, uh in a particular case of my wine, yeah, I've got three different varietals in there. So I got Cab Merlot and Syrah um, from different vineyards um, in different amounts. Um, the process of aging is, uh, is is pretty much the same. We we, leave, we we barrel age for you know your probably traditional two years, maybe a little bit more, and then bottle age for another year before it's ready to. Um, to start its journey, you know, that's the first time you want to open it, and then from that on you taste it, and then hopefully you've saved enough in your in your cellar so every few months you can go back and see how the wine is um, progressing. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and, you know, delve deeper into the psyche and motivation behind Pursued by Bear, Great. Kyle McLaughlin's wonderful Cabernet Syrah. Thanks, Michael. And Merlot Blunt. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hedeka. After visiting Christy's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn. They found a number of purposes for the slate and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. They now make regular trips to the family quarry in upstate New York to hand-pick their favorite pieces of black and red slate. Some of the slate is sourced from the quarry graveyard, a collection of odd-shaped pieces that were ultimately destined to be ground for use as road cover or baseball diamonds. They then transport the pieces to their studio in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where they do additional cutting and clean the stone to be food slate. Every single piece of packaging that comes with their products, from the envelope to the burlap bag, can be repurposed for other uses. The end result is a product completely unique in cut, shape, color, and overall presentation. For more information and to order, visit brooklynslate.com. Now through December, enjoy 10% off your purchase at brooklynslate.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, now eating pizza with Kyle McLaughlin. We decided we got a little hungry on this. Yes, we did. You know, a kind of yes, torrent of the day. Um, this wine, 
pursued by a bear, aside yeah. from having these allegories to, well, I mean, direct directions from Shakespeare. Right. How is it similar to the acting process? Well, we were discuss- you know, talking earlier about how um, the different elements come together to make this wine, you know, the, the, the oak barrels, um, a couple of different varietals that I use in the wine, um, uh, in, in different percentages. Um, and then the... Um, the aging process in the in the bottle, um, and all these things combine to hopefully uh, coalesce into this really nice beverage that we're enjoying <laughs> here. And the same thing is true in in the world of uh, whether it's theater or television or film. You know, you are putting all these pieces together, and without really an idea, I mean, you know, kind of where you want to go, but there are no guarantees, and you just hope that the the alchemy is going to work out in your favor, you know, and um, that um, you just never know, you know. So, I mean, let's talk about working with somebody else, too. I know there are directors for television and movies, but Mm -hmm. working with uh, a winemaker like Eric, what what was that introduction like? What was that relationship like? How has it, you know, grown over the years? Um, Eric and I, well, Eric is also from, he's from Walla Walla. So Eastern Washington, we have a similar sense of humor. <laughs> I met Eric when I was looking out, which isn't super dry. Uh, I met Eric um, when I was looking for a wine to serve at my at the reception for my wedding in 2002. And I had done some research, and I and I knew of Dunham Cellars, of course. And his Syrah, his 99 Syrah, was highly rated, and and I wanted a Syrah to go with this lamb dish that I was going to prepare. And um, so I just called him up and, and I said, "Listen, I need some large format, meaning 1.5 liter." Um, uh, bottles, six bottles, one for each table. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm only, brain. I'm magnum and above. I don't, I don't <laughs> even do regular wine bottles anymore. <laughs> go yeah. large, go big or go home. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we did this, um, um, and he said he didn't have any left, and I was like, ah. but he said, why don't you go call um, uh, guys over at Woodward Canyon? So I was like, all right, I will. So I called up the guys at Woodward. They had a nice wine and stuff. But I would visit Eric when I would go. Now that I had a connection, I went to see him with. Um, so I said earlier with my dad, we would travel down in the car and we would we would stop at different wineries and stuff. So I got to know Eric and I got to know the family a little bit. Got to know the winery and um, really liked the wine. And and um, you know Eric would come out to New York occasionally to travel. So we'd you know grab a bite of dinner together or something. Really liked him, super guy. And finally, a couple of years later, I just said, you know. Um, I've been thinking about making wine. I was considering Napa Valley, but it's just so prohibitively expensive. I said, what about maybe, you know, going in with me on a small venture? You know, like uh, at that point it was like 300 case production, Mm -hmm. like 12 barrels. And um, he was like, great, sounds good. So (laughs) I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. He said, what do you like to drink? I said, I like Cabernet. He said, okay, let's make some Cabernet. Yeah. So that's kind of how he works. That's how most of the winemakers are like, let's make yeah. it. Come on, let's go. Well, let's talk about those <laughs> descriptors as well. Right. Um, because reading Pursued by Bear, the website, and just, well, I mean, reading even Wine Spectator or any right. wine magazine, uh, you know, you have rich, you have ripe, you have smooth, you have velvety. Did it feel right. like reading for, you know, an audition? Did, did you feel like you had to express a character in the wine as it was a character in a movie i decided the best thing to do, you know i like cabernet i like a blend so i kind of went with what i would felt you know and i also liked um eric makes this terrific syrah that was which attracted me initially to the to the um to the label to the brand dunham sellers was his syrah and i was like let's why don't we do a blend with cab merlot uh, which is 
moving towards a traditional Bordeaux blend, and then add the Syrah as kind of the wild card, you know. So um, so we did uh, above 75% Cabernet. That's in order to call it a Cabernet, and we're always above 75. That varies a little bit. And then um, different percentages of Merlot and Syrah each year, depending on how it comes in and what we, what we like, what we don't like. So that has been the traditional blend for, the, for this wine since uh, 2005, which is our first vintage. And I really just wanted it to be, you know, the best that we could make from Washington. It's, the profile is going to be, the flavor prof- profile is already going to be what it is because it's Washington State. It comes from, you know, three or four different vineyards in Washington State. So then it was just a question of what our barrels, we, and we used Terenso, uh New Oak uh, barrels, three different types. Um, it gets all very, you know, <laughs> and then we do this with our staves and, uh, you know, we... Um, we we've, play music for them and no but anyway um those little things are going to influence it um and so let's see what happens and really for 2005 i mean you i had no clue we were, just, <laughs> we're sticking this juice in the barrels going i don't know let's see what happens well i mean so, your tasting notes on, on the website say dark plum bing cherry mm-hmm. and violets with a richly woven tapestry of friar plum and black cherry cobbler that's eric yeah Eric Wax's yeah. poetic. I'm chewing on some beats here. But they're, they're beautiful. They're, they're, you know, like soliloquies. I mean, they're, they're just so pronounced and to the point, um, kind of like your wines. But mm-hmm. then they get more and more evolved as you go through the vintages. There's, there's a little more lyric to it. There's a little more, um, you know, depth to right. the description of the as character of the wine. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's really the two of us sort of coming up with, with, with words that we really feel describe it. And oftentimes with wine, because I've, I'm okay as a taster, but Eric's very, very good. And, you know, some, we'll all sit around Eric, myself, and Dan Wampler, who's also a winemaker on this, and we'll just sort of, you know, what, do you, what flavors do you get? And I start very basic. You know, I'll do like, I'll do like, oh, obviously it's like... Well, tell me black, about this bottle right berry, now. You know, blackberry yeah. jam. You know what I mean? You go, or you go, and it changes during the course of the tasting because as the air gets into the wine... It begins to, you know, it begins to influence it. You know, so major profile of Washington food is going to be is going to be berry. It's going to be cherry, sometimes cherry cola, sometimes blackberry, sometimes black fruit. Anything like that is going to be that's just natural. And also the the brightness of it. There's like a it's not a tannin. It's like a, and it's not acidic or acid, but there's a kind of a brightness to it that cuts through any kind of, if you were having this with, let's say, steak or with a burger or something like that, or like pizza. a fatty or, or pizza <laughs> or a fatty rich with cheese mm-hmm. like that. What that brightness does, it just sort of cl- cleans your palate. And it's really, it's really a nice component, again, of Washington wines. It's natural because of the cool nights that we get there. Um, so that's going to be there always. And then from then on, you get the little nuance of things. You know, it depends on what the barrels will do. You'll start getting cinnamon. You'll start getting a little bit of vanilla. You start sometimes getting a little eucalyptus. You'll start getting a little tobacco or chocolate. In this one, I get a little bit of chocolate. Not so much of the leather side of component of things. This is more of a, which I don't really like so much. It's a little. I'm. I'm. I mean, who knows where I'll. I mean, you, you take. You know, your palate changes and, mm-hmm. de- and develops and matures over time. But that's never been a profile that I've really responded to. Well, I mean, let's talk about time, not abstractly, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you started this project uh, with your father. Right. And now you have Baby Bear mm-hmm. for your son, Calum. Mm-hmm. How has your wine palette, how has your winemaking approach changed between working with your father and now working for, and I don't mean he's the boss, but right. working for your son? Right, with my son. Well, of course, he's got a great palate. He's only five years old. 
Um, he was the inspiration behind the second um, label that I do called um, Baby Bear Syrah in our first vintage was 2008. He was born in 2008. I wanted to make a Syrah. I wanted to make a Syrah specifically with the barrels that we use, these Terran So um, barrels, and I wanted them to be punchin barrels, which is a twice the size of a Bordeaux barrel. So it's a big, giant piece of furniture, I think. Um, they're so gorgeous. And you can get 50, there's 50 cases of, of wine in this barrel. Um, and you can really, you can really mess with this. I mean, this is, this is a beautiful big barrel. You put the Syrah in and we do some stuff called Surlis where we leave the lees on, we stir them up. It gives like a real chocolatey, um, gorgeous mouthfeel to the Syrah. This is a big Syrah. And Eric has got some great vineyard sources for this Lewis vineyard in particular, and um, is, is one of his best, I think. So anyway, we, um, we made the Syrah together and we were trying to find a name and, Callum came along, and I was like, let's, because it's such a big, wonderful Syrah, let's call it Baby Bear, because, oh, it's so cute, but yeah. it's, like, really going to kill you when you drink <laughs> it. It's, like, a really wonderful, rich, beautiful flavors. And so I, you know, I went back to the bear idea and and found a kind of a inspiration in this picture of these two bears together, Daddy Bear and his little son. And I put that on the label, and it's been really popular. Yeah. And it's, and it's very tasty. So going back to your father, I mean, was there wine on the table growing up? Was it a symbol of something, a bond that you two had, or was it just a way to be together? It was, um, we actually bonded more of a beer. Than we <laughs> well, every winemaker loves a good beer at the end of well, the day. Well, they do say it takes a lot of beer to make wine. Um, uh, the, um, my dad, but my dad, they always had wine. It was not very good wine that they drank. They drank a white wine mostly. It was a Chablis or an Amadine or Palmaison, that kind of stuff. The really the, the the better white wine that I drank really was when I was in high school, and I would have dinner with my girlfriend's parents, and we would be allowed to have one glass of wine with dinner. And uh, I just was like, this is so civilized and so <laughs> grown up, you know. And when you're 16, all you want to be is grown up. Um, and to, to, you know, fact of the matter was, I wasn't a big beer drinker. Even when I went to college, I was in the fraternity. I was a beta in the fraternity, and it's all about beer. And I was like, ah, guys, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I mean, eh, whatever, <laughs> you know, Seattle, it's cold. I need something a little, a little more body to it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but anyway, of course, I've realized the error of my ways now, and I'm a huge beer drinker. But, um, but anyway, the, um, sounds like my phone is chirping. Um, but I, I, um, I just uh, I share with my I shared with my dad. He's passed on now, but I shared with him this 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 uh, as I began to improve my palate and, and and learn more about it. I began to influence him as well, and so he began to be um, a little more than me. You must be excited though for when your son's of age, or maybe even a little prior. Yes, to start influencing your palate and your decisions in winemaking. Well, I wonder if he'll if he'll want to like you know uh, maybe be interested in in learning about it and following it, which mm-hmm. I think would be really fantastic. I mean, I would love that to be um, you know part of his part of his um, heritage a little bit, you know, because yeah. that's for me. It's like it's it's so important. Um, let me just turn so my phone. I'm going to go. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Special Agent Dale Cooper <laughs> and. We just want to clarify, too. Can you say Dale Cooper without saying special agent? Or do you have to say all four things? To You have to say all four things. Special agent, Dale Cooper. So there are so many food references in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Repeating coffee, pie, yeah. 
donuts. Yeah, someone did a great uh, video, I think a YouTube video or something about every time coffee was mentioned, coffee, coffee, coffee. Oh, yeah. And, no, which, I've, uh, I've been watching I'm, that for days. Have you? I've tweeted, yeah, it, yeah. I tweeted it out a And I'm not times. a big coffee drinker, but I had a cup of coffee just to get myself in character before. Mm. So that's why I'm buzzing, sweating, Very and good. probably speeding along that's on this. That's what coffee will do. <laughs> but you also... Mm. Roast your own beans now. You're you're doing a collaborative project with Walla Walla Roastery. I am with Thomas Reese at Walla Walla Roastery. We decided to do. Um, it really came about because we've been talking about doing something like um, sort of a Twin Peaks homage, like Cooper Blend or Dale Cooper or whatever. And I said, I don't think I can actually legally do that, you know. And and I never really pursued it um, beyond that. But this Christmas, I put together some some like I basket to send out which i do for people that have been really great supporters of the wine and um i was talking to thomas and i said why why don't we do just a pursuit by bear blend or something like that so he said okay that sounds good so we took the label and kind of modified it slightly and now it's so it's called brown bear it's a uh, the brown bear blend uh, or melange and uh, it's kind of the label but it's the sort of the inverted it's the negative side of it and then he put it on these coffee uh, in these, you know, pound, one pound coffee bags, and uh, the coffee's really, really. Thomas, first of all, Walla Walla Roastery is an, an amazing facility, and it's literally across the parking lot from Dunham Cellars. Yeah. So pilgrimages are made all you during the day. You a nice little world for yourself. Right? I love a nice it. little pocket. Yeah, you got your upper with your coffee. Yeah. You got your downer <laughs> with your wine. Um, so this is. Um, and Thomas roasts these small batch blends, and it's it's like the best. I, I order the coffee to New York because I love it. It's it's just. And he, he's such so meticulous attention to detail. Anyway, he's made this special blend for the baskets. And now I said, why don't you just sell it? on?" So he's like selling it yeah. now just at the store, which is fantastic. And how do you take your coffee? I, well, if you know, if I do cappuccino, it's like it's it's just, um, you know, I do it with I, no sugar is usually what I do. So, mm-hmm. But my coffee, I'll, I, I'll do black if I have to, but I do like a little bit of milk. Yeah. To be honest, that's me. I'm, <laughs> I'm outside the character. <laughs> Cooper likes it black. I like it with yeah, a little How bit many of black milk. coffees did you have to drink on set? There weren't a lot of coffees yeah. consumed. Yeah. Yeah. So that staccato, that, that amazing kind of enjammed speech that you had yes. as that character, was it the coffee or was it? It's got to have been the coffee. <laughs> Certainly couldn't have come from me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad this wine came from you. It, it's a very special blend and Thanks, such a Michael. wonderful story. And Thank you. We only hope to explore, you know, years of these vintages. Well, it's exciting. You know, people say you've got, you know, how, how old am I? So I'm 54, so... I have another 30, if, you know, if, if uh, God is kind, another 30 tries at this with Eric, you know. So you really, when you put it in those kind of terms, um, Ray Isle, who's at Food and Wine, was um, said that to a friend of mine, Michael Terry, and Michael makes great wine at, uh, in Carneros, actually. And he, re- he related to me, and I said, you know, you're right. It's not, not that many chances, you know. I mean, um, to to learn to explore to get it there is no getting it right mm-hmm. you know it's like this it's a because it's a it's like a little animal it continues to evolve and change and like you know so um it, it's it's growing all the time so but there's the wonderful um process you know and that's what we're all about well if there's one thing i can say damn fine wine damn fine wine <laughs> thank you so much kyle mclaughlin go to preserve but Pursued by bearwine.com. And then yeah. all the other references, Walla Walla Roastery. Just go to Walla Walla. Go to Walla. You'll see Kyle going back and forth with his uppers and downers. I'll be there. Thank You'll you again me. for being on and uh, hope to have you back here in 2014. 14. Be my pleasure. The, the food team will be returning, I think, that second week of January. 
happy holidays, happy New Year's. Great. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.